Would you like to build survival skills? Would you like to be more confident and self-sufficient in nature? Do you know what to do if you come across a bear in the wilderness? Did you know that primitive camping can speed up your healing process? In today's episode on Root Awakening, a health podcast, we are talking with Brian Torres. Brian has been a personal trainer for over 10 years. He is an OIF veteran. He is a professional wilderness guide, and he is the founder of Nomad Outdoor Guides, LLC. Nomad Outdoor Guides curate guided wilderness adventures throughout the U.S., and Brian teaches his groups about primitive camping, survival skills, preparedness, and through these teachings, mental stability is created. I know this because I just got back from one of Brian's wilderness excursions. Brian and his business partner and close friend Jimmy led me on a primitive camping trip where we created our own shelter without a tent. We chopped a lot of wood. We set up camp in a very strategic way. And to my surprise, this experience ended up being a big spiritual lesson for me. I felt so fulfilled investing energy directly into my survival, and it was almost impossible not to be super present in the moment moment. It reverted me back to my primitive needs, which was so soul healing and kind of an unintentional way. It was really special. So Brian has joined us on this episode to tell us about his knowledge on wilderness skills and survival. If shit hits the fan one day, folks, and our cities are burning, the safest place to be will likely be deep into nature. But if you have no idea what the fuck you're doing in nature, it will also be a very dangerous place to be. So Brian gives us a bunch of bite-sized tips in this episode. It's actually one of our shortest episodes ever, but it's packed with so much information, which is beautiful. It really creates a wonderful balance because it gives us a great opportunity for clear, concise learning, and Brian is very good at that. So he tells us what the most important wilderness skills are to have. He tells us what the biggest purpose of his wilderness excursion groups are. He tells us what to do if you do encounter a bear and know it isn't as simple as to make a lot of noise or to run away. And towards the end of the episode, Brian tells us how cultivating wilderness skills can transform mental health. He literally made me cry with his explanation of this topic. It's so fucking transformative to hear. So I'm really excited to share this one with you all. It's vital information for us to learn and to share with others. This could play into our safety in our future. This kind of information, these kind of survival skills can completely change the way that we look at life and completely change our confidence levels about what to do in sticky situations. So let's get into it, baby. This is Root Awakening, a health podcast. My name is Emily Kosick. I am the CEO of Root Awakening and an intuitive health coach, and I help you discover your psychic gifts and become more intimate with yourself along the way. You can follow me on Instagram at emilys.rootawakening. Root is spelled R-O-O-T. Say hi. Tell me what you think about this episode. Are you fired up about it? Are you freaked out about it? I'm always happy to connect with you. And I serve my clients through intuitive body readings and one-to-one spiritual coaching. My intuitive body readings are one-to-one sessions over Zoom where I use my third eye to read your body and I will listen to what the universe or God or spirit wants me to communicate to you about where stagnant energy and trauma is living in your body and what you need to know in order to heal and manifest what you want into your life. 
And the best way to describe my one-to-one coaching is trippy and transformative. I help my one-to-one clients discover and strengthen their own divine and psychic gifts. That could be intuition. That could be anticipating. That could be just balance in your life and understanding what your next step should be. And within that process, my clients also build more intimacy with themselves and their relationships. You can book 30-minute or 60-minute readings with me. Head to the link in my bio on Instagram or Facebook. I am on Instagram at emilys.rootawakening. I am on Facebook at M-E-M-Kosick, C-I-O-S-E-K. So head to my bio on Instagram or Facebook to book a reading there. And if you are interested in one-to-one coaching, message me on Facebook or Instagram. So let's get into this episode with Brian Torres, physical trainer, OIF veteran, and professional wilderness guide. Folks, I have someone very unique with me here today. Brian Torres is joining me on this episode of Root Awakening a Health podcast. Brian has been a personal trainer for over 10 years. He is an OIF veteran, and he is a professional wilderness guide. Brian is the founder of Nomad Outdoor Guides, LLC. Nomad Outdoor Guides, curates guided adventures throughout the U.S. and we are talking wilderness adventures and primitive camping excursions that will literally teach you survival skills. So when shit hits the fan and you have to venture out into the woods, you know what the fuck to do and you know how to handle nature. And this past weekend, I had the opportunity to go on an adventure with Brian and his business partner and close friend, Jimmy. And I was specifically looking to learn wilderness skills and understand more about how to be more confident in nature and how to be more self-sustainable in nature. And Brian and Jimmy fucking delivered. They facilitated that exact experience. They set me up with all the right supplies. They bought incredible, simple food to cook over the fire. They taught me how to properly use an ax and chop wood in a few different ways. They showed me how to organize the tasks at hand in a certain order, which actually makes a really big difference I learned. And possibly the most fascinating part of this experience were the spiritual side effects. Um, Brian and Jimmy create an experience that allows you to kind of accidentally slip into complete presence in your surroundings and complete gratitude for the nature around you. So to me, it felt like a spiritual trip without any of the bells and whistles. It was like a super low key, subtle, almost unintentional spiritual quest, which was actually almost more meaningful than going on a really intense spiritual retreat that is called a spiritual retreat. And on top of that, Brian is just an all around phenomenal human being. He's so thoughtful and patient and loyal, and he's a wonderful teacher. So Brian Torres, it's an honor to have you with me today. Welcome to Root Awakening a Health Podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting me. Okay, so let's dive in here. This is probably going to be our shortest episode, which I'm excited to kind of have a snappy back and forth with you. Tell us a little bit about what your background is with wilderness skills. How did you develop this knack for surviving in nature and thriving in nature? Uh, Well, my background really comes from growing up. Uh, My experience that folks that are the most comfortable in any scenario are the ones who've been doing it the longest. And I've really, I grew up uh, living in places like West Virginia, Maine, uh, Maryland and then a little time in Florida, but you know, those early years spending my days running around the woods, you know, fishing for crayfish, going four wheeling, you know, building forts out in the middle of the woods with my friends really was the foundation of it all. I did it. There wasn't really any rules how far away I could go, you know, where I couldn't, couldn't go. We really didn't have much of an idea of private property yet. You know, those ages, you just kind of went out and adventured. 
you know, you didn't really take much with you. You didn't even take water, really. You're just a kid running around. Mm-hmm. But that gave me the foundation to be comfortable in the woods. I, I don't walk out into the woods and uh, feel any sort of anxiety or any fear that seems to come over a lot of people because of their their lack of uh, of time spent there. It's almost like going to a neighborhood you've never been to or a country you've never mm-hmm. been to. It's a really different experience when you spend most of your time around concrete and, uh, you know, modern development. So from there, it uh, gave me the best foundation. Then once I got to the age of 18, 19, I joined the military. Uh, obviously, everything we do is outside there. So that gave me more of a technical background where I learned some more technical skills, such as uh, land navigation, how to read a map properly, how to, how to find myself if I'm lost on a map, mm. uh, dealing with the elements, uh, setting up shelter, these more basic uh, survival skills. Mm-hmm. After I got out of the service, then I, I, it was always something I was super interested in. So I started pl- putting a lot more of my own time into studying and learning. And I say that's really where you get most of it. You, there's tons of books, tons of information. This is what humans have been doing for most of their lives is surviving in the woods, you know, not indoors. So there's a lot more information on how to harvest food, how to cut wood, how to build a log cabin that people realize probably more out there than how to build a normal house. Mm. It's something we've been doing for, for centuries. So for the last 10 years, I've been really dedicating myself to educating myself uh, technically, everything from watching documentaries to reading books so I can get those finer details. And the more you know, that the better you are when you're out there. That's the most important thing you can take out with you is your knowledge and your wits. So you, you can't always outwork something out, out in the wilderness or in a survival scenario, but you can outthink something. It's always, always about what's in between your ears. That's definitely the best tool. Yeah, cool. And that shows so much like your confidence and Jimmy's confidence out there made me super confident. It's, a, it's like a contagious vibe that you guys have. Um, so what led you to wanting to create Nomad Outdoor Guides? I... Well, COVID really made the big difference. Obviously, when COVID came around, there was a lot of adjustments everyone had to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, being a, being self-employed, my uh, my uh, primary business had taken a hit, but it gave me a large uh, amount of free time. So with that free time, I decided to do some of the stuff that I haven't been able to do consistently for so many years. Mm-hmm. That being spending more time outdoors, getting into the hiking and camping, seeing some of these locations in New York state and around the area that I've wanted to see and never had the time. So I committed to that about halfway through the year, Jimmy and I started thinking like, how do we do this full time? How do we get to a point where we can make a life of this, not just uh, you know, a weekend that costs us something. So it's brought an idea through a client who wanted to come along that they're willing to put a group together to pay us to take them out on an adventure. Every, mm-hmm. but we had to supply everything. So it was a kind of a eureka moment that it felt that there's a lot of people out there that are looking for, I don't want to use the word guide or Sherpa, but, you know, a teacher, somebody who's going to show them the ropes, show them the location, show them how to get there, give them a crash course without them having to dive all the way in like we do. So whenever you went out with us, we, we tried to create a bridge between your, you know, the modern world and our world by providing the right materials, mm-hmm. providing the right equipment right off the bat. So when you get there, you know, you can be confident that you're going to have everything you need. 
And then from there, then all it takes mm -hmm. is us, you know, putting the right information in between your ears. So mm -hmm. having, having the time through COVID and the desire to not work for anybody else was really the, what, what motivated this. Mm. I want to spend my time outdoors and uh, my goal is to buy some land and it just all seems to mesh together well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you're taking a group out on an adventure, what are your biggest goals for the group? What do you want the group to achieve during that time? I want them to have a good time. First and foremost, I want them to, to enjoy themselves. I think that's <laughs> obvious, obvious thing to state, but I'll do all the work if I need to, to just entertain them. Because if it, that's, especially mm -hmm. if it's their first time out, they need to have a good relationship with the wilderness, you know, with the trees around them, mm -hmm. with the ground, with the water, you know, if there's bugs everywhere, if, they, if, they, if they're cold, if they're hungry, they're not going to have that relationship on the first go around. You're always going to run into struggles mm -hmm. like that when you're out in the wilderness, but it's better to do that, you know, ahead, whenever you're kind of looking for a challenge mm -hmm. at the very, the very first time it's all about comfort so that they can see that even out in the wilderness, you can create your own level of comfort just like you do at home. You don't need a couch. You can build a couch out there, you know? So you saw us make chairs mm. and recliners mm. and, and really set up our campground to be comfortable. That's the same thing we, we try to do first and foremost. So we, so they can be, they can enjoy and have fun. After that, I want them to be well-fed. Food is a big part of what we do when we're out there. So if they can have a good time, they can have good food, then everything else becomes pretty simple. Then it's easy to teach. If I keep somebody's belly full, it's a lot easier for me to fill up their brain. If they're always thinking about food or thinking about comfort, then they're not going to want to learn. If you get them comfortable and you get them well-fed, you you're happy to pick up an axe once you got some food in your belly. You know, you're happy to do a lot of work. You're happy to go adventure. You're happy to listen. But if you're thinking about food and comfort, it's not going to work. Um, and that's really the basis of survival is, is getting those first primary things taken care of. I love that. I love that. I wasn't expecting you to say that. And I love it. It makes so much sense. And I actually, I am surprised to hear that because I think you could make it, you could make it a really fucking intense experience where like, okay, here's what you're doing. Here's what you're building. Don't worry about your comforts. Yeah. We're going to make it all oh, practical. Yeah, I, could carry a I could carry a 35 pound pack easy out there, but I carry 50 pounds for a reason. I want to be comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's worth it. Yeah, for sure. And if if folks aren't like if if we have a group going out there and nobody is comfortable, nobody is happy, they're not going to want to come back. They're not going to want to develop the that hours relationship are going to get nature. long. They're so going to start sense. developing fear of being out there. They're going to start doubting you, doubting yeah. themselves. But if you take care of the the basic the first human basics, I think in any time in life, if you move to a new town, if you're having a bad week, the, the basics, you know, comfort, food, you know, warmth, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff, you know. So when we went, the first thing we did, we set up camp so we can set the fire up. You know, we divided, divided mm -hmm. and conquered, uh, set up the fire, set up some sort of shelter location, you know, get our wood and then start food going. Because that's the first primary things in, mm -hmm. in any sort of survival, even if it's just wilderness stuff, even if it's global disaster stuff. At the end of the day, you got to have a very, very short, consistent list you know shelter food warmth you know water mm -hmm. you take care of those then you can really start getting into details and being creative about anything else but if you don't have those you know basic needs covered nothing's going to happen that's 80 percent of everything mm. 
I love that. And that was my next question too. Like, what are the most important wilderness skills to have? Would you say taking care of your basic comforts? The number one is wits. Intelligent. You can't, you have to, <laughs> you have to have knowledge in your bag first. Before I ever go out on any trip, even if it's a short one, I do, I do tons of studying, tons of maps, um, mm-hmm. uh, staring at maps all day, trails, option A, option B, option C, looking at grid coordinates, looking at um, figuring out what direction my compass needs to point if I need to get out of there, you know, a, a uh, exit mm-hmm. asthmus. You know, it's wits, first of all. You have to have a, a level of intelligence, mm-hmm. a level of studying, so then you can be prepared. Because I could have a, I could hand it, I, I could have handed you that backpack and not said a word, you wouldn't have known anything, known what to do. You have all mm-hmm. the gear in the world. If you don't have the knowledge mm-hmm. and the wits how to use them, then there's no, there's no value. One of the way, one of the things that they teach in, in survival training is the more you know, the less you need to take. Mm-hmm. So the more you know, the, the things that you take that. start, start taking on multiple uses. So one reason we don't carry a tent when we do our trips is the tent is very one dimensional. And if a tent breaks, then it can't be used in any very many other ways. It doesn't even really work as a tent anymore. Mm. When we take our tarp system, the tarp weighs the same as a tent, but I can use it in a million different ways. And if a tarp breaks, I can fix that pretty easy because it's just a big plastic sheet. You know, I can stitch it up. I can tape it. That's not the case with a tent. So taking your wits, having some intelligence, having knowledge, uh, studying, that's the most important skill by far. Hands down, the most important Mm. skill. After, after having the wits, it's patience. When you're out in the woods, time goes by very differently. I remember I explained that to you that between 3 and 8 p.m., the day feels like it's 15 hours. Mm-hmm. Just because you have nothing to compare to versus your normal everyday life. You know, you don't have a train schedule. You don't have TV uh, show schedules. You really don't have – you're not looking at your watch. You don't have something to gauge time passing. You just have the sun. So patience is a big one when you're out there in two ways, being patient enough for something to happen or not getting too ahead of yourself. So when you're hiking, a lot of people get lost because they're impatient. So if you're following Mm -hmm. a trail, land navigation isn't too big of a deal. You're following the trail. But what happens a lot of times, people will turn off too early. They've actually not gone Mm -hmm. far enough. Or when they're trying to start a fire, they start losing their patience. They start smothering the fire, throwing stuff on it. And a lot of these things in the woods take time. And time is something you cannot mm. cheat. A minute, a minute is a minute. An hour is an hour. That's the same in the woods. Just more. That's more the case than anything. You're, you're not going to be able to rush the sun. You're not going to be able to rush the water. You're not going to be able to rush anything. So taking your time and being patient is definitely the second. That saves you from making mistakes, get injured, get lost. Is patient. So having your wits, being smart, and then being patient. If you have those two, you can just take a book with you and read out of the book and survive. But if you don't have those two, you could have mm-hmm. an expert right next to you trying to teach you and trying to help you survive. And you're going to have a big, big issue. Mm. I love that. So cool. So what do you say about like protecting yourself in the woods? That was one of my first questions for you. I think before we even met, I asked you about that. What do you do about dangerous wildlife? If you're out in the woods and you have your wits about you and you're patient, that's good. Get a good, dog first. But get a, get a, I take two dogs. <laughs> so I have a different. Now, last year, I didn't take my my older dog with me. I just got the new puppy. 
but I would take my pit bull with me only the second half of the year just because I thought she was too old and I was wrong. She kills it out there. You saw her. She runs everywhere. She's not too mm-hmm. old, but yeah, I was worried at the beginning good. of the year. And what really made me start taking her was have you always have a bit of anxiety when you're in the woods because of wildlife, mm. because you're not used to being out there too. You're not in your element. Wildlife has a massive advantage to humans when you're in the woods um, being able to see, being able to move, having the knowledge of the area, you're you're in their hood. You're in the wrong neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So before, <laughs> we would have, do a lot of things. One, we take a lot of fresh food, so the scent is a big deal. We hang up our food away from camp, at least 20 feet in the air, out, out of the reach of, you know, the tallest guy I could think of. So we hang the food up mm-hmm. away from camp, so we have nothing attracting animals towards us. We burn anything that has scent, get rid of it. We try to keep a good fire going um, anytime that it's dark. Animals do not like the fire. It's a great asset. It lets you be able to see. It keeps you warm, obviously, but it's also a big deterrent for wildlife. After that, we carry big knives. We carry an axe. Then um, one big one most people don't really think of and know of is scent. So scent is obviously the GPS in the woods for animals. Whenever we're out there, we do a perimeter. And it's funny, whenever I started taking my big dog out, you see her do that too, where she pees at a different location around camp. Never at the same mm-hmm. spot. Mm-hmm. That's the same way animals do when, they're, when they mark their territory. They don't mark their territory by going on one spot. So when we were out there, we make sure mm-hmm. that we also, when we urinate, use the bathroom around camp, we do it in a way that it creates a perimeter around. Animals are going to come up. They're going to smell your scent. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they're just going to turn back. Animals don't want to mess with humans either. You know, we, we may be mm-hmm. out of our element, but we are still a top-notch predator. You know, very few animals are going to be able to come around us and not at least take a, take a blow, take a shot, get injured. And animals are very wary of that because if an animal gets hurt, they're likely to die. It's not like humans. They don't have hospitals. It's mm-hmm. a, a coyote breaks mm-hmm. his leg, a coyote's probably dead. It's probably going to die in the next couple of weeks because it won't be able to hunt for his food. Uh, bears typically in this area on the East Coast are more scavengers. You're not going to see as many predatory bears, but it does happen, especially if you have food around. You know, we've only seen one bear once and we just stared at each other and turned around and walked away. I think at this point, mm-hmm. you know, I would, you know, you, with bears, it's just, they, they have a couple different bits of advice when it comes to bear. A bear doesn't really want to go after you. So if you have a backpack, if you're running to a bear when you're walking around and you have a backpack on and it comes towards you or comes at you, drop your backpack first. The bear's going to mm. be attracted to your backpack, mess with your pack, and you're going to be a lot lighter for you to be able to run off. Now, wait, you know, see, you know, run off. Make sure you can keep your eye on the bear so you see that it takes off. And which way it takes off, hopefully it leaves your pack and you can go pick it back up. Coyotes, you can usually scare off a coyote. A coyote's probably not going to come in around until like nighttime, very, you know, very quiet animal. On the East Coast, you don't have as many predators. When you start going out west, that gets scary. Last time I went out west, we brought somebody mm. with a pistol. You should have bear spray, uh, firearm, or something like that. If you're going to go do some primitive style camping like we do out west. You're talking cougars, four, five, six hundred pound uh, brown bear, grizzly bear. Uh, mm. Some areas have wolves, uh, wild wild hogs. It's a way different experience. You know, the northeast is pretty pretty cushy when it comes to uh, to wildlife and and uh, camping and predators. But first and foremost, dude, hmm. after you have your wits and your patience, then like you mentioned, you have a checklist and security and safety is part of that. Walking around your area, setting up your perimeter, lighting, fire, 
those kind of things. That's a really hard thing to really pin pin down because security and safety comes from wits and, and uh, preparation and patience because you have to have knowledge of your area. You have to be prepared. You have to think. It's just like security in, in uh, urban areas. If I ever have to use my axe to defend myself against a bear, I'm probably fucked already. If I ever have to mm. use my pocket knife in New York City when I'm walking around for self-defense, I'm probably fucked already. There's typically signs mm. when it comes to security beforehand that are checkpoints in your brain that you got to decide, what am I going to do next? Am I going to progress forward or am I going to start taking a defensive stance? Always decide to take a defensive stance first and early. So if you hear rustling, turn on your flashlights, your lamps, put your back to the fire, get eyes on. You know what I mean? If you're in, in an urban area, if you feel that the guy's following behind you, dip into a Starbucks, go into a restaurant, find somebody before it gets to the point that you have to ever use a weapon. By the time you use a weapon, mm. you would have already had a handful of signs. So that, and preparation beforehand. Don't walk down that road. Don't walk down that neighborhood. Don't camp next to a bear cave. Don't, don't put your mm. beef jerky next to your pillow when you go to bed at night. You know, there's preparation that really takes place when it comes to safety and security. Yeah. So, but you mentioned running away from a bear in a certain situation. So what I always, what I have been trying to figure out ever since I started camping was when to run from a bear and when to like, you also hear about people who do fight a bear or they punch a bear or something like that. When do we, right, when do you we punch a bear whenever way? it's on top of you? <laughs> don't, don't ever square <laughs> up to a bear. Uh, the only time I would ever square up to a bear, if I got both my dogs, Jimmy right next to me. And I think we got a pretty good shot to take them out. One of us is going to get really hurt, but I think the other three will be able to, to, to back them up. When, so from my knowledge, there's a basic approach because there's also some differences. Black bears on the East Coast are not predatory by nature, meaning that they're about 250, 300 pounds at large. So they're about the size of an of a NFL linebacker or a, an offensive lineman. Bear, very big difference from West Coast bears. West Coast bears, brown bears, grizzly bears tend to be a lot more predatory. They hunt down deer, they'll tackle a human. With wow. all bears, you want to have eye, you want to have visual on the bear. If you notice a bear, hear a bear, eye contact, make eye contact, see that it's there, be loud, let them know you're there, you're not prey, you're not going to be easy prey. Predators want easy prey because if a predator gets hurt, they're probably going to die. If a prey gets hurt, if a deer mm. breaks its leg, it just eats grass. It can hide. It doesn't need to hunt for its food. So predators always want the easiest prey. So we'll always want to make yourself look hard to kill. Then mm. you, it all depends on scenario. If you're at camp, you should have a fire. You should have other tools around you. You have, should have an axe. You should have some sort of weapon. Grab the weapon. You're at your camp. Most likely that bear isn't going to want to get after you. It's going to want to get after the stuff in your camp. So then you have eye contact with the bear back to the fire. You can move around that fire. The bear doesn't want to come to the fire. Now, if that's not the case, then eye contact and start moving away from camp. The bear wants what you have at camp. It's going to be way more curious from that. If you're on a trail, the big one is the backpack. It wants, it's a curious animal. It would rather scavenge than hunt. Mm. Drop your backpack. Mm. keep eyes on hopefully it messes with your backpack you keep moving further and further away down trail further and further away down trail mm. making eye contact with them make sure you know which way you're going on trail 
you got to take into consideration how far you are from the, you know, safety from town, how far you've been on the trail. If you're two days out, you don't want to leave your backpack probably, right? So finding a safe location where you can keep eye contact on your bag and the bear. And if you see the bear take off, you wait a, a good period of time, then you go get your pack. But the biggest thing, you know, with all those is the bear doesn't want to hunt you. So the idea of turn and burn, if a bear starts chasing you, the runs after you, that's when you run. But again, drop your pack. Drop your pack. If you have a fanny pack that any that on your waist, drop it. If you have a sweater wrapped around your, your uh, shoulders, drop it. Any Drop anything of size that it can see so it'll mess with it. For an instance, it'll give you the break to take off. If you're far enough, a bear isn't going to go chase it off. It has better things to do. Don't turn and burn on a bear initially because then mm -hmm. a bear automatically, it's just like a dog chasing squirrels. They have predatory instinct. Right. They're not necessarily chasing after you to prey on you, kill you, but animals have prey drive. So there's something that flicks in their head. If something runs away in their mind, they're supposed to chase it because that's how their genetics set mm -hmm. them up. That's the big difference between getting mm -hmm. a Labrador as a dog or getting, you know, a a uh, Shih Tzu as a dog. You know, one doesn't have mm -hmm. a, a prey drive. One's going to stay put. The other one, mm -hmm. you know, used to chase down animals all the time. It hunts. That's still there. So, mm -hmm. yeah, the big one is, is that. You got it. It's all situational based, though. That's where it comes down to preparation. You have to do some study. You have to do some preparation. I look on Facebook and my Instagram group. Uh, before I go to the area there and see if there's any bear sightings, any moose sightings. I'm always hoping for a moose sighting, but you know, mm -hmm. I'm not really don't stray away from bear sighting, but we're knowledgeable about that. We, we want to know that's there. I just mm -hmm. saw on one of my sites that there's a bear scat was found, large power bear scat in the moose river plains where we're going. All right. I sent it to Jimmy and let him know, Hey, be aware. There's a bear sighting in the area. Bears have big territory, but if it's there right now, it's likelihood it might be in the area coming this weekend, but in the woods, mm. it's, don't be quiet, be loud, be big, be bold, be hard to kill. You know, humans survived in the woods for thousands of years. You got to have, you know, big wits and big balls when you're out there. You can't be scared. You can't be timid. That's how mm. you, you end up in trouble. You have to be confident and you have to approach every scenario that way, especially when you're around predators. Okay. I love that. That cleared that question up for me so much better than any other description. Yeah, they make Thank it too you. black and white. If there um, is a process to it. You yeah. need that bear. You yeah. need that bear to take his attention off of you. Right. I love to hear the nuance of that. Brian, do you have time for one more question or do you have to? Yeah, I got time off? for one more. Okay. Switching gears to the um, less practical side of this experience. What do you think primitive camping does for your mental health? What kind of experiences have you had that are more intangible out there? It, it came, it, when I went on my first trip last year, it was motivated by COVID, obviously. Going through a really hard mental patch. Myself, my buddy Jimmy, mm -hmm. his father was really sick. So we needed a break. Um, we were doubting ourselves. Mm -hmm. We were getting in our own head. And when you start speaking negatively to yourself, that takes a toll on every aspect of your life, financially, personally, sexually, uh, whatever, you know, professionally, because you're not believing in yourself. So you, you beat yourself up 
you put yourself in a worse scenario. It's a, it's a downward spiral. So we had already done stuff like this back in our past. So we decided to challenge ourselves and, and go back and remove a lot of the extra stuff around us and do something we really wanted to do. What we didn't expect that first trip was to get our asses whooped. Because we, we've done camp and all that, but we went in uh, late, late March in the Catskills. It was snowing the, the day we went out there. It was 31 degrees and snowing when we walked out. We weren't quite as prepared as we thought we were. You know, not we hadn't done one at that in that kind of conditions in long time, in years. The gear wasn't right. The gear wasn't really prepared the way it should have been. The weather was also the gnarliest weather we've experienced still this whole year. And we, we camped at zero degrees, but still at 32 with snow and wind, no sunlight where we were at, way worse. Mm. So going out there and having that experience where we had our asses kicked, we uh, went out there for a, an emotional, really emotional base change that we wanted in our life. Mm. We really had, we, we had to commit to ourselves and believe in ourselves. We weren't going to get out. We were going to freeze that mm. If you didn't put our, your head down mm. and do the works and be on and be on your own team, there's no time for self-doubt. Self-doubt and you're, you're fucked out there. Um, one thing I tell people, I've thought about suicide. I think a lot of people have. They just don't want to say it. When oh, yeah. you're out in the wilderness, it's very easy to die. If you, really, if you really want to play with that idea of death, do I want to be alive? And get out there and have a struggle night. And you realize how much you want to be alive, what that desire to stay alive really feels mm. like when you mm. are bracing yourself in that sleeping bag, when you're chopping more wood at 3 a.m. because the fire's out. If not, then you would just close your eyes and then say goodbye, you know? But no, you mm. don't. You you dig a little deeper. You, you feel that sensation of wanting to be alive and stay alive. Then the next morning comes, that sun comes up, and you feel the warmth of the sun. You, you, you get that sigh of relief that the days, that the night's over. And a lot of those doubts, that depression, that weight that you carry on your shoulders is gone. It simplifies life for you so much. Well, I, always, I tell people, I warn people when I, I go out, I say, listen, I, I cry about 100% of the time when I'm out there. If there's one moment of uh, cry of happiness or going, crying because of happiness, crying because of, you know, I'm working through some mental stuff from, from uh, back in civilization, but it's always emotional. Mm. It's personal when you're out there. There's nothing else to distract you. There, there aren't uh, dopamine and serotonin spikes like you have in, in, you know, modern society. You can't, mm. you can't distract yourself with, with uh, going to a bar or, going online and get those 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 highs that people use to get mm. it's you know your 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 highs come from your own doing your own achievements your own kind of work and i always say the pleasure and enjoyment's in the work i build my house i build my fire i build my food i cut my wood and every time you complete a task like that you remind yourself i'm capable i'm strong i can mm. do this i can survive and when i do that out there it's very simple and i have a very very complex and complicated life here back home because of you know being a business owner living in new york city having multiple dogs you know whatever ambitions i may have things are more complicated back here but mm. the basis is of the mental anguish is the same if, if i can get work done on a regular basis and achieve things regularly check the things off my list 
be productive every day, then every day that I do that, every task that I do, I remind myself I'm capable, I'm strong, I'm, I'm worthy. You know, that negative self-talk starts to get quieter and quieter and quieter. So going out into the woods, it's, it's practice for that. It, you know, it's, it's eliminates everything. For me, being out in the woods is easier than being in civilization. It's a piece of cake. Mm-hmm. Um, being here in civilization, you're dealing with everything else. A lot of external, um, external factors. So everything else is a lot louder when you're not in the woods. You know, the people around you, the, uh, you know, your work, your, your clients, whatever it is, there's way more noise. Out there, you got birds chirping, and then whatever you got going on in your head, so you're able really to decipher what your your true thoughts are, your true feelings are, and that that translates better when I come back. There's definitely times where I'm like, "Oh, I need a trip. I need to go on a trip," you know. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, that's that's when things really start changing. Brian Torres, professional wilderness guide, OIF veteran, and personal trainer. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. It was an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for sharing the time with me. And thank you for coming out on a uh, Nomad Adventure last week. I hope you loved this interview with Brian Torres, physical trainer, OIF veteran, professional wilderness guide, and founder of Nomad Outdoor Guides, LLC. Follow Brian on Instagram at the underscore nomad underscore lives and support nomad outdoor guides on instagram at nomad outdoor guides llc if you have any inquiries about excursions with brian or if you have any questions for him in general dm him on instagram at the underscore nomad underscore lives brian is also a private fitness trainer who does in-person and virtual coaching so dm him if you're interested in fitness training as well i'll have all of brian's contact info in the show notes And folks, if you did love this episode, subscribe to this podcast, leave a rating and review, share this podcast with your community. Let's spread the word about these really essential topics that we all need to become empowered. And if you would like to book a 30 minute or 60 minute reading with me, head to the link in my bio on Instagram at emilys.rootawakening to book a reading. And if you're interested in one-to-one coaching, message me on Instagram or Facebook. I am Emily Kosick, intuitive health coach and CEO of Root Awakening. Thank you so much for listening to this interview. I am so grateful for you all. I love you all. See you on the next episode.